good morning, good day, good evening, good night, whatever time you're joining us again for another podcast episode of First Aid Basics. I'm your host, Jay. Today's podcast, we're going to be discussing head and spine injuries. And as with any podcast, I'm going to start off with some anatomy. For this anatomy, I may go a little bit deeper than I would for a basic first aid course, only because there's some relevancy to the anatomical structures of the head and spine that are important for you as the podcast listener. All right, so starting at the head, we consider the whole head to be called the skull, and that the lower jaw is the mandible. Well, if we want to go a little bit more specific detail, looking at the front of the skull, uh, you would see uh, two eye sockets, uh, uh, nasal area, and some teeth, and the lower jaw, like I said, is the mandible. Well, the upper jaw, the upper lip area, is the maxilla, and on either side of that, uh, at your cheek area, is the zygomatic bones, and so you have two uh, zygomatic bones, one for each side. And in between, you have the nasal bone. That's the structure of the nose. And as we get to the eyes itself, there are uh, uh, bones that are in the eye area, uh, the lacrimal bones, some ethmoid bones, things that aren't really important on a first aid level, but just know that there are specifically small other bones, sphenoid bone being another one. But looking at generally still face on, above the eye eyebrows is the frontal bone. So that's fairly easy to remember. It's facing the front. And as we get to the top of the head, the largest subsection of the skull is the parietal bone. And that covers a good third of the skull itself. And as we go towards the back of the parietal bone, then we're into the occipital bone. And that is the base of what you would call the base of the skull. On either side of the um, ears is the temporal bone. And that has got smaller bones inside of that. The mastoid process is encompassed to that. And that's an important detail to remember as when we talk about skull fractures and, and head injuries is the mastoid process. Then you have the styloid process, which is part of the ear. And a very interesting bone. It's the uh, only bone in the human body that does not connect to another bone. I can actually hear people thinking this one out if they've not taken an a human anatomy course. It's the hyoid bone, and that bone attaches to the tongue. So that's what gives our tongue, help give our tongue some structure and movement. It's just a small little bone, but it again is the only bone that does not connect to another bone in the body. So now we've gone to the major components of the, the skull. Let's look at the back, the spinal column. So at the base of the skull starts the cervical spine, or cervical spine, however you want to pronounce it. Whatever book you learned it in, and whatever prof professor you may have had with their dialect of the English language. Cervical, cervical, okay? 
uh, Americans tend to say cervical, Canadians and the Brits and uh, the UK uh, may say cervical. It's uh, just tit for tat, tomato, tomato. So with the cervical, there are seven cervical uh, bones. So C1 to C7. And uh, for your own personal knowledge, if you bend your head towards your chest, and then you take one of your hands and you feel that first little bump, that is your C7. And so that should just be about at the top of your, if you rub your hands across that C7, that's where your shoulders are starting. So that's your uh, C7. Then you have 12 thoracic bones, and that makes up your upper and middle back. And then below that, you have your lumbar spine, and that's generally five lumbar bones. And four lumbar bones, my, my correction. Then you have the sacrum and the coccyx. And the coccyx is... Uh, three or two or three bones depending on the person okay and they uh they can be classified as fused bones so the sacrum and coccyx can be com uh, combined as fused bones um, inside the bony structures of the spine or and in between each spinal column is a discs and those discs act as a shock absorber and act as protection so that the bones don't wear and tear on each other and we'll get into some of the diseases later on in this chapter. But uh, and inside of the cervical or the spinal column itself is where the spinal cord runs through, starting at the base of the head and running as a whole spinal column till about the L1, L2 region. And that um, and that where it branches off it has a special name. Uh, it doesn't affect us in first aid, but it's called the cauda equina. And basically that's where the spinal column starts to, to break down. And cauda equina is Latin for horse's mane or horse's tail. Uh, so that branches off the spinal cord, starts to branch off down in the um, lumbar region. And uh, they can affect dermatones, uh, leg strength, uh, uh, urinary or bowel uh, retention or function. For manual, um, if you have to hold your pee for a bit, that's how it is. One of the nerves that help do that. Um, the actual spinal column itself is made up of different uh, processes and things like that. There are several processes of the spinal column. We don't need to get into it for um, the instances of giving first aid, but do know that. Uh, when someone has a, cervical, uh, uh, a spinal cord injury, it can be one of numerous causes. It can be from a fall, it can be from trauma, it can be from any numerous things um, where the spinal cord in itself has either been swollen through the damage or it's going to be, it has been severed due to trauma. So a spinal cord injury, as most of you are probably aware, is very serious. And as of this recording, uh, spinal cord injuries are permanent to a certain degree. Uh, so do keep that in mind. And while we're talking about the seriousness and some anatomy of this uh, spinal cord, at the base of the skull and the cervical one and two area, uh, that's where the breathing and heart, heart rate comes from, okay? They control um, the respiratory and the cardiac um, central nervous system, okay? Um, 
So if those get damaged, there can be someone who can either stop breathing or having breathing irregular irregularities. There can be some cardiac issues as well. Um, and not going in too, too deep, but after C, C4, C5, C6, that's where if someone can be uh, paralyzed from the neck down or shoulder down and any uh, thoracic spinal cord injuries that could be involving um, abdominal paralyzation down, waist. So you got your paraplegics, those are people who have uh, spinal cord injuries that affect from their waist down, generally speaking. Then your quadriplegics, so that's your more serious um, where the upper part of the spine has been involved. And uh, so this chapter we're going to discuss causes, signs, symptoms, first aid measures pre-hospital wise for you as a basic first aid person. And again, these are just reminders for those who've taken courses of what to look out for. So from going to anatomy into a bit of uh, causes and some of the safety modes of uh, spinal cord injuries and head and spine injuries. Uh, last thing I want to discuss, speaking of the head and spine for anatomy, is the actual hip bone itself um, that is uh, the hip bone attaches to the lower spine, so the uh, L4 uh, sacrum region, and it also attaches to um, the head of the femur bone. So this pelvis bone in itself, um, so if this has been damaged and there's a crushing injury or some other damage to the hip, do highly suspect that the spinal cord and or the head could be involved as well. So going on to some causes. Uh, number one cause of spinal cord injury in young males is diving in, in um, sporting injuries. Okay? It's a statistic fact that young males, uh, teens to early 20s, are at the highest risk for spinal cord injuries. Uh, various numerous reasons um, showing off, trying to be impressive, Maybe it could be peer pressure, just any number of reasons um, can cause someone to feel like they need to uh, sh dive into shallow water or water that you don't know how deep it is. And next thing you know, the person has got a serious neck injury and is uh, paralyzed. Uh, it can also be from uh, motor vehicle collisions, um, all-terrain vehicles, whether they be a, a snowmobile type or a quad type, not wearing proper protective uh, equipment, so uh, helmets, seat belts for motor vehicles. The number one cause for ejection out of a vehicle is not wearing a seat belt. If you're wearing a seat belt properly and it is secured, that's its job is to keep you from being ejected out of that vehicle. Uh, some other signs uh, or issues that could cause a head or spine injury. Any fall that we say is greater than your own height. So if you're six foot and you fall from a standing position, taking into consideration you haven't hit your head on any object falling, then we would say that's that's fairly uh, safe uh, distance that you probably don't have a head injury or may not have a head injury. 
However, if you're standing on a ladder or a stool and you fall, we're going to say that could potentially lead to a head or spine injury. Um, and as I just mentioned, if you strike your head on the way down from a standing height, we would consider that a possible head or spine injury as well. So we've covered some of the safety aspects, some of the causes, um, sporting events, I think of uh, skiing, uh, snowboarding, uh, high impact uh, martial arts, uh, football, rugby is being a, is a, can be a huge one as they don't wear padding. Uh, I know American football fans, uh, you know, all their players are in Kevlar and helmets and padding up, but rugby, uh, British football, which in North America we would call soccer, they don't wear pads as much. Rugby is extremely uh, uh, forceful contact, which could result in uh, broken bones or head or spine injuries if the person is, uh, takes a hard hit. Hmm. Signs and symptoms. There are multiple signs and symptoms for a head or spine injury. And at this point, listening to my podcast, you can imagine what's the first thing I'm going to be looking at or asking you to look at, the mechanism of injury. What's the MOI? What caused this? How did it happen? So to wrap it all up, what was the mechanism of injury? Then we can look at possible injury, potential injury sites, and then we can go from there with how we're going to treat this person. If you walk to a motor vehicle collision and you're assessing the scene, doing a scene size up, and you see that there's a huge uh, spider web indentation on the uh, windshield, there's a pretty good bet that that was the driver or the passenger that made that happen. Uh, Again, maybe didn't wear a seatbelt, possibly the seatbelt was not deployed properly, or the airbags, that there was no airbags in this vehicle. Uh, also, you would look at any damage to, again, not just the uh, windshield glass, but you would look for any damage at the uh, steering column. Okay, is there any damage there? Any damage to the actual front of the, um, where the steering wheel and the uh, front dash is? Are there any damage there? Outside of motor vehicle collisions, you would look at uh, velocity of uh, the person. If it was an all-terrain vehicle, were they thrown from a from the all-terrain vehicle and uh, land maybe head first into a tree? Maybe they were thrown into bush or brush. It just depends. Look at the scene size up. Some more specific signs and symptoms you may run across for head or spine injury obviously would be um, bleeding from the ears or the nose, any clear fluid coming from the ears or the nose mixed in with the blood. There could be vision problems, could be double vision, there could be loss of bowel or bladder. Um, again, looking at the simple things, was it a slip and fall? Did they hurt their back? Did they hit their head on the concrete when they fell. So just look, take the whole scene in consideration. Uh, with the fluid coming from the ears and the nose, 
if there is like a clear thick fluid coming from the ear um, ears or nose that is a very bad sign because that is most likely cerebral spinal fluid and there's only one way that can leak out of the of the skull and that's from a skull fracture so the skull itself must have been struck to the force that there was a, a fracture in the skull making it uh, to the point where the fluid could leak out okay so the cerebral spinal fluid in itself uh, our bodies produce this naturally this is going to be one of the few times um, if there is fluid coming from the ears or the nose and it's mixed in with this clear type fluid uh, we do not want to try to stop it okay one of the few times that we don't want to try to stop it because if you apply direct pressure to the ear well that fluid's going to start to back up it's going to go back into the skull back into the brain and it can cause uh, more damage in the long run and, and so we don't want to make that any worse okay um, you may be wondering why I'm not going into great uh, consider, uh, anatomy with the brain. Not really important. Um, I mean, if you want to look it up, go right ahead. It's it's very interesting for, from an anatomical structure, but not really going to affect us in our day-to-day -day first aid. Same goes for the different spaces under the skull bone itself. I mean, uh, we have several layers. Uh, you have the skin, the muscle, the bone itself, and then under the skull... You have layers under the skull. You have the arachnoid, subarachnoid space. Um, you have the dura, subdura, all these different spaces. But in the big scheme of things, in giving first aid, you look at the signs and symptoms, you look at the mechanism of an injury, and you're going to treat accordingly. And of course, the number one treatment we can give to a person who has may have sustained a head or spine injury is calling EMS 911. Uh, keeping them as still as possible, maintaining their head and neck in the position found if they're breathing. Okay? If the person is not breathing, at a basic first aid level, we need to get that airway open. Okay? For those who have advanced training on how to use a jaw thrust or a modified jaw thrust, by all means, if you're trained and you're proficient in that skill, you would use that to open and maintain the airway. For those of you who do not are aware of the jaw thrust maneuver, you're just going to open up the airway with the head tilt chin lift method. Um, I may hear some grief from some of you and that's fine, uh, but I feel if you're not properly trained on how to do a, a jaw thrust, in a classroom setting, listening to a podcast for half an hour is not going to make you proficient on how to do a, a jaw thrust without practice. Okay? So again, it's life over limb, airway, breathing, circulation. Okay? Uh, the other thing I want to take consideration for signs and symptoms is uh, breathing irregular irregularities, as I mentioned. Um, the person may be complaining of unable to move a body part or uh, feel a body part if you go to touch it. Again, the biggest first aid you can give this person is calling EMS, keeping them as still as possible. Um, 
if they happen to be up and walking around for whatever reason in a daze or maybe in a shock, uh, quote unquote shock, uh, have them sit. Sitting is probably the easiest thing to do uh, as opposed to try to get them to lay down. Uh, Have them sit. If this is a motor vehicle collision and the car is not on fire, no smoke, do not move them, period. Our first instinct is to move a person. Oh, the car is going to catch on fire. No, it's not. Okay. You only need to move a person if there's immediate danger to them or yourself. Okay. So if I see smoke and I can smell gas, yes, that is a potential life-threatening condition. You know, the car could catch on fire. So yes, I'm going to move that person, but I'm going to need training and I'm going to need assistance to help me do that. So if there's no smoke, there's no fire, the car's turned off. So that's the biggest thing you can do right there is turn off the ignition. Uh, do be aware though that airbags can still be deployed. They're still in a deployable state, even though the car is turned off. Um, Do use extreme caution around uh, vehicles that have airbags that have not deployed. Um, When I was a volunteer firefighter, we did um, vehicle extrication. We worked with um, how to deal with the safety aspect of airbag deployment and the, the safe distances. That memory is long gone. I'm not going to try to remember any of that from 20 odd years ago. All I do know is that they're still charged and they can still go off. That's the biggest safety point we can take out of this is that airbags, until they're deployed, if there has been a motor vehicle collision, there is a possibility of being deployed and they can hurt. But the help during a motor vehicle collision is outweighs the hurt um, of maybe a busted nose or a broken pair of glasses as opposed to the, someone's face being smashed into a windshield or a steering column. All right, some other signs and symptoms, I digress, um, is bruising around the eyes or the ears. Now, this is a later sign and at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned uh, the mastoid process, and that's just behind the ear itself. This type of bruising is called battle signs. Uh, that's the nickname. It's been called that for many years. And that's uh, the bruising. That's the raccoon eyes, so double uh, black eyes, and bruising around uh, just behind the earlobe. Okay? So that's the mastoid process. Anytime you see... Um, any bruising around that, those regions, those are generally later signs in header spine injury because it takes time for that swelling and the bruising to occur. Another thing is uh, vomiting. The person can vomit. That's why we really want to keep them as still as possible, preferably either sitting up on their own power or uh, laying, if they start to feel nauseous, laying them on their side while someone is supporting their head. And for a person with head injury, the vomiting um, can be projectile, so it can travel several feet as opposed to just dribbling out of someone's mouth. Uh, Some other possible signs, symptoms, unequal uh, pupil reaction. Those are, can happen. And as with any sign or symptom, don't get hung up on just one. 
um, because I had a family member who had a glass eye. So if I was to see this family member, oh no, they had a stroke or a head injury. No, it's a glass eye. So don't focus in on just one sign or symptom. Look at the big picture. Uh, the Some of the other signs or symptoms of head or spine injuries that weren't already mentioned would be um, dizziness, confusion, changes in level of responsiveness. That's a big one right there. Because if there's a serious head injury, head trauma, uh, their le- level of responsiveness can be alert one minute and unresponsive the next or somewhere in between. Okay. Um, so you, as a first aider, your role is to maintain their ABCs, make sure their airways open, that they're breathing, and that they have circulation. Okay. Um, and until EMS arrives. First aid, as I'm plugging at home, keep them as still as possible. Help maintain the body temperature. So if it's cold outside, wrap them in a blanket. Keep their head as still as possible. Easier said than done at times. Uh, working as a paramedic, uh, our unit responded to a, motor, a multiple motor vehicle accident, which became a triage situation. First person I go to uh, didn't seem seriously hurt, so I said, Sir, don't move, don't move your head. And he started nodding his head. I'm like, No, please don't move your head. And he started nodding again. So I was stuck holding this person's head because he wouldn't listen to me while the other crew member had to go triage everyone else because this one person would not listen he wanted to get out of the car we're like no no stay where you are other ambulances are on their way the fire department's on their way so uh, it became a mass casualty triage situation fortunately there was no serious injuries Uh, but yes keep the person as still as possible Um, only move them if their life is in immediate danger and I mean immediate danger Um, and again, a fender bender at the corner is not immediate danger. Um, the other thing I want to take into consideration is if the person is unresponsive and you're looking at the mechanism of injury and you do suspect head or spine injury, if they're breathing on their own, just maintain their head in the alignment that you find it in. So if they're laying on their stomach and their head's off to their side and you can see their breathing, just gently hold their head the way you find it. If you have to hold their head, you generally only have to hold their head if they're conscious and not cooperating and you're not holding it firm. It's just a gentle reminder. Okay. I'm just going to help remind you not to move your head. You may have a head or spine injury. We're just going to take some precautions until the paramedics of the fire department arrive. Okay. Outlook outcomes for head or spine injury. The severity, that depends on the severity. Obviously, the part of the brain, the part of the spinal cord that was injured. Um, the One of the other topics that we discuss in these kind of chapters are concussions. Um, a concussion can be a repetitive blow to the head either one time or multiple times so a concussion can be caused 
just from a one offset strike to the head or it could be from multiple strikes to the head. Signs and symptoms are very similar to that as uh, other head injuries. Dizziness, loss of balance, headache, uh, blurred vision. The, uh, the person may have problems sleeping. They may uh, seem just out of sorts days afterwards. And for some people who have concussion, the, the effects aren't uh, immediate. So there could be delayed effects of a concussion. And like anything else, they need to be assessed by a physician or nurse practitioner. Right. I think that wraps up this podcast of uh, head and spine injuries. Again, the big takeaway here, you got some anatomy. You're going to look at the signs and symptoms, the mechanism of injury. You're going to keep the person as still as possible. You're definitely going to call EMS, 911, whoever you have for advanced medical care. Um, you may be called upon to assist with the fire department or the paramedics. Follow their lead and their instructions um, if they're going to immobilize this person. And there are different ways of immobilizing someone. Um, so, depending on how they find the person and, and if um, this person would require uh, spinal immobilization for their own safety um, and then once that's done then uh, they'll stay on that spine board until the physician has assessed them and deemed them not to have any potential spinal cord injury okay. again I thank you very much my apologies for being delayed uh, as they say life happens things get in the way and uh, this is still a good passion of mine with this podcast and i do hope you enjoy it and again if you have any questions or comments or concerns please feel free to reach out to me i will leave the email on the podcast description as i've done before and i do appreciate all of you listening stay safe stay well in this new year of 2021 Thank you.